0: church uh it uh that's just unfair to make me follow all that up so uh it has been uh, a great great 20 years and uh looking forward to see what god continues to do i'll just say that so and uh man uh, go how do you follow up a goat i mean holy cow That's, that's good. So, hey, uh, I need to say good morning out to our uh, Stone Canyon Vertigo's campus. They didn't see the goat. We had a goat this morning, so I'm sure you guys have had a wonderful morning as well. So, but uh, just definitely want to welcome everybody here, especially our first-time guests. Glad to have you with us. And, uh, you know, in celebration of uh, 20 years, why don't we just talk about sex today? How's that sound, right? What? (laughs) Just, anyway. Well let's just dive on in though. Uh, We've been in the Sermon on the Mount and uh, been uh, going through this message of Jesus, been uh, characterized as the greatest sermon ever preached. Uh, It took him about 17 minutes according to uh, just reading from uh, beginning to end through the Bible, uh, yet preachers expound upon it for hours and hours trying to explain it. I'm not sure why we even try. He makes it pretty simple, I think. But uh, we're going to keep on rolling. So far, we've talked about his call to us to be different, and then to make a difference, and then live up to a different standard, the standard of God's Word in our life. Last week, we talked about what uh, that life begins to look like as we strive to live by that standard, when it talks about uh, anger and then un. Uh, uncontrolled anger that can ultimately live, lead to murder. Uh, this week, he continues down this track of what our life is supposed to look like as living as uh, a citizen of his kingdom, what this different kind of life is supposed to look like, and, and he starts talking about uh, adultery and lust and divorce. And so, uh, some of you are going, oh, what? Why today? Why did we show up today? Well, hold on, it's going to be good, all right? So, uh, But that's where we're at. Um, And and here's really what I want you to get out of this morning, just in a statement. It's this, my impurity is no match for God's grace, all right? Uh, My impurity is no match for God's grace. I, I wanted us to start with that because we could walk through this and every one of us leave here beat up, feeling guilty, and that's exactly where Satan would love for us to be, uh, and, uh, and totally miss out on grace. And we don't want to miss grace at all. And so as we walk through this uh, text today, uh, keep that in mind. My impurity... Is no match for God's grace. I don't think I have to really spend a whole lot of time at the beginning of the message uh, explaining our culture and the uh, sexualized culture that we, we live in. I could throw out statistics to you. There's uh, one I heard this week that uh, 30% of all internet traffic, 30% of all internet traffic, get your head around how much internet traffic is out there right now, a bunch of it going on right now, 30% of it is pornography. Wow, you know, uh, just looking at pornography alone uh, and uh, the impact that it's having on our culture and on this world is—it's staggering. I don't think that we can really uh, compute uh, just how uh, detrimental that is and how much destruction it is doing in lives and in marriages. But we live in a day where uh, full unrestrained sexual expression is believed to be your right. Uh, one preacher put it this way, it's being machine-gunned into our minds and values on a daily basis. The vast majority of sexual expression in society today uh, has been viewed as, uh, or through media and the arts, uh, has, goes directly against and is outside of the covenant of marriage. Uh, you watch TV, you watch all the, the times when uh, you have sexual relations on TVs and movies, and it's somewhere in the neighborhood of 85 to 90 percent of those scenes are outside of the covenant of marriage. And so that's becoming more and more of the norm. The media treats sexual sin as simply a viable uh, alternative lifestyle. And, And quite honestly, you know this, we've learned to laugh at things such as homosexuality, and other uh, sexual premise, promiscuity. And uh, really, our culture has moved from just expressing sexuality uh, or sexual sin to embracing sexual sin. That's, that's the world we live in. That's our culture. Now, Jesus, he's speaking into a similar culture. Now, they don't have phones right there that have... You know, any content, sexual content they want right there at, you know, their beckon. They don't have that. It's not inundating them on a TV at all times. But it was still a very sexualized culture. It was accessible. Matter of fact, in pagan worship, and many, uh, in much of the pagan worship, uh, sex was a part of worship. You would come to a temple and there would be what was known as... uh, 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 worship prostitutes or temple prostitutes that would be a part of the worship And so that is some of what Jesus is speaking into Not only in the pagan realm over here, but even on the Jewish side The Jewish uh, culture and, and Jewish uh, religious leaders had taken God's law and, and perverted it to the point where it was very simple for a man to get a divorce so that he can then just turn around and go marry another woman, I mean, for almost any reason. I mean, she she burned dinner. Oh, you're out. See another woman that's more you know is prettier than your wife. Well, hey, sorry, baby, moving to the next one. Uh, it, it had come to to that kind of a place, and that's the culture that Jesus was speaking into. And so, just like last week, last week in our text, uh, Jesus began to clear things up when it came to the law that uh, had been passed down to the people, and he cleared things up about uh, an attitude of anger and and how we need to avoid that. This week, again, he's clearing things up, and he begins by clearing things up about sexual sin and divorce, and the first thing that he gives is a call to sexual purity Matthew chapter 5 is where we're at. Matthew chapter 5, you're there. That's where we're going to be here in just a second. Verse 27 is where we're going to start. Again, Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is surrounded by his disciples and a crowd who are listening in. If they weren't shocked by some of the things he had to say last in the in the last section that he talked about, chances are there's going to be something in this section that's going to grab them. Look at verse 27. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. That is the written law. Exodus uh, chapter 20, verse 14. You shall not commit adultery. Uh, that law is there. All right? It's the seventh commandment out of the ten. And Jesus has no issue with that law. All right? No, say no to adultery. All right? But again, just like last week, his issue... Is with the interpretation of that law. Now, before we go much further, let's just talk about or maybe define adultery. What is adultery and, and simply put it sexual relations, any sexual relations that are outside of the marriage covenant, the way that God designed it from the beginning between a man and a woman for this reason, a man will leave his mother and father and, and be joined to his wife. Okay? That is God's plan. Anything sexual relations outside of that be considered adultery now in the, in the context specifically he 's probably starting off talking about talking to married people and, and adultery of, of, a, of a spouse that is uh, having sexual relations with somebody other than their own spouse later he uses the word uh, fornication pornea uh, which really encompasses all kinds of uh, sexual uh, sin but here and with adultery one one preacher put it puts it this way or defines it this way adultery is a marriage breaker It is a violation of the marriage covenant and again uh, Jewish, the Jewish leaders, the way they have interpreted the law at, the, at this point is to say, okay, yeah, thou shalt not commit adultery, but as long as I'm not committing the physical act of sexual intercourse, then I'm good. Anything else is all right. That's kind of where they, one way that they have taken this. And Jesus, again, He's ready to clear things up. Look at verse 28. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Oh, man. (laughs) All the guys in the crowd just thought, oh, there's no way. This, what he's already shared was the written law. Now he's sharing the spirit of the law. But I say, you've heard it said, you've had it passed down to you, you've had it taught to you this way, but I say to you, there's those words again, but I say to you under new authority, different authority, don't just say no to adultery, say no to lust. Now, what is lust? Uh, Definition there, having a strong sexual desire toward another person what happens with lust is there is an objectification that happens to that person in the let's just take pornography for an example and use that as kind of our springboard here when a person finds themselves wrapped up in pornography or viewing pornography the mind begins to see that person on the page on the screen whatever as an object for satisfaction not a person not a human And so they begin to objectify who they are. And the problem is, the more a person views this, and this is, listen, listen, ladies, this is not just a men's thing. Women are the uh, fastest growing segment of those who are viewing pornography today. This is for all. The more a person views that content, the more the brain is wired to view people as objects, objects for personal satisfaction. And it goes from looking at people on a screen that way to actually looking out at others, even physically around you that way. And so it it can, when it is left uncontrolled and it rewires your brain, it can destroy the way you just see people and the way you value people. And really it devalues people Because now people have only become an object for your gratification, your sexual gratification, or your own pleasure. And so Jesus comes out about it and says, no, no, no. We cannot devalue people. Remember last week we talked about that a little bit when it comes to anger. Whenever you insult somebody or call somebody names, it's a devaluing of them. And, and maybe that's one of the reasons why Jesus hits that one. It's like, hey, no, they're made in my image. And, and when it comes to sexual sin, again, Jesus says, no, these people, everyone's made of my image. There cannot be a devaluing of people for your own pleasure. And so Jesus, what he does in this text is he takes them from a, uh, the idea of only external action to internal thoughts and attitudes and feelings and says, no, this goes much deeper than just the this, this act of sexual sin. So what are we to do? Maybe is the next question, and that's where Jesus takes us next, and here's the idea. He, his call is to take drastic measures to control sexual sin. We've got to take drastic measures to control sexual sin. Look at verse 29 and 30, and here's his answer. Hold on. Here we go. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away, for it is better for you to lose one of your members than that your whole body is thrown into hell. Everybody listening at this point is going, what? But I like to see, you know keeps going, and if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, for it is better for you to lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Cut out your eyes, cut off your hands, so that you can avoid the sin and so that you can avoid hell. It's the hope of physical mutilation. Now, is that really what Jesus is saying? No. He's using a metaphor, hyperbole here, to, to make a point of just how serious sin is. Control your eyes. Control your body. Job 31.1, Job has something to say about this when he says, I have made a covenant with my eyes. How then could I gaze at a virgin? He says, I've made a covenant with him. I, I, I want to do everything I can to control my eyes and protect my eyes. From the time my son was little, I have ingrained a statement in his brain protect your eyes, protect your eyes, protect your eyes. Because I know, especially for men, how visually stimulated we are. And so from the beginning, I wanted him to have that understanding. And still to this day, he's not in this service, so I'll talk about him a little bit. But still to this day, when we watch shows and something comes on the screen that's not appropriate, he, I still see his head duck. I'm like, yes! We've got to protect our eyes. We've got to guard our eyes. James Dobson says guarding our eyes goes a long way in protecting the integrity of our hearts. Again, Jesus' point here is that sexual sin is serious. It's not a laughing matter like many in our culture and in the media have portrayed. They make fun of it, laugh at it, but it's serious. And the question is, do we take it serious? You see, Jesus raises the importance here, the seriousness of this in this moment by, by connecting it to eternal punishment. Those who engage in unrepentant sexual sin are not a part of the kingdom and have no hope for the kingdom one day. And So again, he wants to make sure we understand just how serious it is. He goes further as he deals with the consequences that often come out of, uh, of sexual sin, which is divorce. Jesus begins to talk to us about divorce next. Uh, it's kind of in the next section, but I, I think there's a reason why they're side by side. It's, he's playing right off of what he's just got through talking about. Look at verse 31. It was also said... Whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. Again, this was the written law. There was a law on the books about that for the Jewish people. But the religious leaders, even in that time, and even in this time, still today, the things that I've read on this, still disagree about the interpretation of that law. There's one school of thought known as the school of Hillel that says if your, if your wife, again, I said this earlier, they will go as far to as say if your wife burned dinner, you can you can put her away in divorce. Maybe you've seen that in our culture. You'll, every once in a while, you'll see signs out among, around where just say, fast divorce. Make it quick and easy. 69 Get 99 Get her done. Yeah. And so it's that kind of a mindset about divorce. And then there's the school of Shammai that kept it pretty strict, only if she committed adultery. Now, much of what God gave for the law was a protection for the protection of women. But the religious leaders had totally turned this around to where it favored men. He keeps on going, you've, you've heard it, this is the way you've heard it, okay, this is how it's been passed down to you, verse 32, but I say to you, there it is again, new authority, all right, listen, but I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the grounds of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. You see, Jesus, again, is raising the bar on what it is to be a part of his kingdom. And he's trying to bring some clarity about what this different kind of a life looks like and he begins to talk about the sanctity of marriage and the marriage covenant. Sometimes I believe in our culture we miss out on, on just how important a covenant is we don't covenant is not even a word that we really throw around in our culture today is it but yet when we begin talking about marriage and the way God designed marriage it was built upon and is built upon a covenant concept uh, for instance, you can go back in the Old Testament, and, and there's, a, there's a story about Abraham with God, a time with God, and there's a covenant being made between God and Abraham. And God has Abraham take a bull, cut it up, and lay it out side by side with a, kind of a path in between the cut up pieces of the bull. And in the story, God walks between the pieces of the bull. And there is a covenant that God is making in this moment, saying if If I was to break, if I'm to break this covenant, may it be to me what has happened to this bull, to this animal. And this was a common, uh, somewhat of a common event that would happen in Jewish culture to show the seriousness of a covenant. And when a man and a woman come together in the covenant of marriage, that's the concept. This is to be a covenant that is not to be broken. Matter of fact, whenever I perform weddings today, I haven't done this for all 20 years. I've been in ministry here, but I've started here in the last uh, probably 10 years. I always include a statement in there where I tell the couple, this is a marriage where divorce is not an option. Because I want them to know from the beginning, I want them to have the goal from the beginning that we're not going to break covenant. We can come overcome anything that comes our way. And we have seen couples overcome almost anything when God is in the middle of the situation and in the middle of the marriage. Now, one might be thinking as you read this text, well, if I'm already divorced and remarried then am I living in adultery like Jesus says there whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. That seems to be how it reads. seems to be how Jesus says it. I really can't do any um, theological acrobats around this statement that he makes. That's what he says. But as we go through this whole text, what Jesus is doing is he is setting a bar so high that many would say there's no way you can, you can achieve that, except for with grace. And so again, today, I, I'm not coming here to beat you up and say, well, yeah, you need to really, you need to get another divorce, go back and get back. Uh, no, it's not what's being said at all. This is what God desires. But if that's where you find yourself, God has grace. And we move on. Jesus is again showing that kingdom righteousness is so different than anything in this world. It's a different way of living. It's a whole different standard to live by. So how do we, as we talk about lust and, and uh, adultery and, and the challenge that we face, how do we, let's just end our time here just talking about how do we face the temptation? How do we resist the temptation? That's where I want to go to now. And, and first thing is this, is just this, hold on to God's standard. That standard we talked about several weeks ago that Jesus kind of used as a foundation for this whole message. This is the standard. This is what we're supposed to live by, the truth of God's word. And in this part, I want to go to Proverbs chapter 5. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and go over to Proverbs 5. And I want to pull some wisdom out of this book of wisdom There. There in Proverbs chapter 5, Solomon is speaking to a young man, maybe most likely one of his sons, And he says this, starting in verse 1, Proverbs 5, verse 1. My son, be attentive to my wisdom, incline your ear to my understanding, that you may keep discretion, and your lips may guard knowledge. That's how he begins this part of the text. Hey, listen, be attentive to my wisdom, my understanding, okay? My wisdom, uh, that is... Solomon had a wisdom that was unmatched by, from God. And he says, hold on to it. Hold on to my understanding. Where did all that come from? It came from God. Keep discretion. Be able to discern what you face in this life and the decisions that you have. That your lips may guard knowledge. What kind of knowledge is he talking about? He's talking about the knowledge of the Word of God. Hold on to and live by God's standard that we find in God's Word. That's where he starts Hold on to God's standards. second thing, though, is this. Stay away from the door. Stay away from the door. Some of you are thinking, okay, what is he talking about? Is it like a horror movie? Don't go to the door. No, where where is he going? Solomon is giving a warning to young men of an adulterous woman. You go on in the text, and he begins to describe this adulterous woman and and her intent on God. Grabbing a hold of, of these young men. He talks about that her lips drip with honey. And, and all this description to try to show the trap that is being laid out for them. Look at verse 8. He says this. Keep your way far from her and do not go near the door of her house. The best way, one person put it this way, the best way to deal with temptation is to not have to deal with it. <laughs> Keep your way far from her. Live your life in such a way that you don't even, that those things, those places, those scenarios, those circumstances, don't even come into the realm of possibility. Keep your way far from her. Do not go near the door. It's a lot easier to say no to a door than it is to say No to temptation. Question What's your door? What is the door that you go through to engage in whatever it is that leads you to lust, sexual sin, or just sin? What's the door? Is your door a computer screen? Is it your phone? Is it your iPad late at night when you're by yourself? What's your door? Is it it your business trips where you're by yourself and you can do whatever you want? What is your door? Is it your social media? You kind of like your Facebook account because there's an old flame from high school on there and it's kind of fun to be able to go see what she's doing, what he's doing. What's your door? Stay away from it. How do you get rid of it? Throw the computer out. Oh, How do we do that? Remember when Jesus said, cut out your eye, cut off your hand, take drastic measures, go to your boss, tell him I can't go on business trips anymore by myself. Or quit. Okay, man, now you're getting crazy. Do you understand how serious sin is do you understand how serious sexual sin is and how it can destroy not only on your life but your marriage take drastic measures stay away from the door what is your door do you need to get your Facebook app off your phone do you need to delete your account (gasps) yes I said it get away from the door and then lastly is this, recognize the consequences. Jesus kind of lays that out. Cut out your eyes so you don't go to hell. He, he lays it out pretty well. Solomon does a similar thing. As he, you go on in the text and he describes the price that is paid for sexual sin. And what is described in the verses that follow were, is, a, is a miserable life. That is a result of giving yourself to sexual sin. You come all the way to the end. You go to verse 22 and 23 and it says this. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him. The one one who didn't stay away from the door. The one who said yes to the adulterous woman. uh, The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him. And he is held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline. And because of his great folly he is led astray. There's consequences to our sin. There's consequences to our unrepentant sin. God has such a better plan in store for us. He desires so much better for us. His, his idea for sex. Now, don't, I, I never want people to hear me speak on sex and think, oh, God doesn't like sex. We've got to say no to sex. No, 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 no. If you're married, go have lots of it, Woo! Heat it up! God created it for that, all right? He created it to be so much better than a tryst in a backseat somewhere where you leave feeling guilty and hoping to God your spouse doesn't find out. Recognize the consequences. Listen, if you're going to live up to, and this is kind of where Jesus has been taking this whole message, if you're going to strive to live up to God's righteousness on your own merit, on your own goodness, then in order to overcome your sexual sin, in order to to overcome this, you better start cutting out your eyeballs and cutting off your hands Probably need to cut off your feet. <laughs> you start cutting it all off, but before long, you're not going to be. There's not going to be a whole lot left of you, and you're still not going to be able to make it. But by God's grace, we can, because of the righteousness that we received received through Jesus, we can. You see, Jesus takes this standard of righteousness so far beyond what we can attain, but through the power of the Holy Spirit, we strive for it, we try for it, and we do everything we can to guard ourselves so that we don't fall to it. Many of you know my story. I've, over the past 20 years, I've shared my story a number of times of, of what I struggle with, what I struggled with back starting in, in early junior high, fifth, uh, fifth, sixth grade, when a little boy down the street invited me over to his house and, and introduced me to his, his uh, uh, world of playboy because his mom gave him the subscription to help him become a man. Worst decision you could ever do, parents my eyes were opened up to the world of pornography, and it has been a struggle ever since. It doesn't go away. The objectification of, of women just doesn't, you don't just rewire your brain. It's an addiction. And statistically speaking, in this room, a majority of you know exactly what I'm talking about. I don't know what your story is. I don't know where your struggle is. don't know what your door is that you need to stay away from. I, I don't know all that, but he does. Jesus does. And his grace is sufficient. There is hope. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Let me just end right here. Always an encouraging text. Verse 9 and following. Or do you not know... That the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. There's a consequences to unrighteousness. A tried to be achieved on our own. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, the idolater, the adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, homosexuality nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revelers, or swindlers will, will inherit the kingdom of God. They won't... They won't. Those who are continuing in that sin, unrepentantly continuing that sin. Verse 11, and such were some of you. People in the church, Christians that Paul's talking to, used to do all these types of things. Yeah, such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. Oh, you were changed, transformed. You were justified. You were found innocent because of what Jesus did for you. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ because he took your guilt for you and by the Spirit of our God. Listen, when we fall on our face with all of our sin and all of our shame, our Father is there ready to welcome us. My impurity is no match for God's grace. So you might feel conviction today. If you feel conviction today, great, because God's speaking in your heart. But if you leave here today just feeling guilty, then Satan's pressing in on you. You're innocent because Jesus paid the price. Question. Do you need to run to Jesus today? I hope you do. Father in heaven, we love you. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your word that shows us, leads us to understand more fully the life you desire for us. So God, help each one of us to recognize the door in our life, those doors that lead us places we don't want to go. And help us to stay away. But help us to rest in your grace. God, if there's anybody here today that does not know your grace, does not know your love, does not know of the sacrifice that was made for them in Jesus, may today be that day they come to know you. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.